my friend Stephen Holly. It has been, hadn't been that long since I've seen you, but um, it's it's been a while since we sat down behind a microphone. It has been a while. I'm thinking, I'm kind of right here at the point of this table. You can move this way or this way. You, you move wherever you want. This is this is this is your no, world. No, this is your, <laughs> this I'm just your podcast. I'm just playing in it. So actually, no, the last time we got behind the microphone was um, just over a year ago, probably. Uh, it was you, me, and Clint. We were talking about... That would have uh, been a year and a half ago. Was it a year and a half ago? Yeah, that was right. Uh, that was May, you know, um, a couple months into the pandemic. Yep. It was in my backyard. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and a lot has happened since then. A lot has happened. Um, a lot of good, uh, a lot of trial and error. Um some not so good in the world. How many, but as it relates to this podcast, where was that in the sequence of you starting to roll this out? Um, I would say it was, it was about a quarter of the way in, maybe a third. Um, you know, and it's, I always prefer to do in person um, because, you know, there's, there's just, we're social animals. There's nothing like yeah. looking somebody in the eye. Um, it's a lot different than looking someone, looking at someone on a video. Um, and so I, that was really one of my more enjoyable episodes for that reason, because we got to, to sit there in person. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited to, to sit here in person with you again, because there's, there's a lot to talk about over the last year. I mean, obviously carry the loads 10th anniversary. Um, and it's, it's a weird to say, it's weird to call it an anniversary given the magnitude of, of, of what carry the load does, but there's a lot that's happened over the last year. Um, you know, our, our 10th year, we've seen a lot of impact, um, a lot of impact that can be measured, a lot of impact that, that can't, um, we could talk numbers all day long and we've done a great job as an organization. You and Clint started something that, that, that resonates with people differently than, than just seeing a commercial on a TV. And, you know, like we try to tell people, in order to fully understand Carry the Load, you have to show up. Um, I don't want to talk about the numbers, though. I want to talk about the impact that this organization has had on other people that you've seen. And I also want to talk about the impact on Stephen Holly. Okay. So... When you talk about the impact that you've seen this have on other families, is it in line with what you thought it was going to be, with what you were trying to do when you started it? Yes and no. I think, um, you know, at the, at, at the beginning of this, it was about showing these families that there was people out there that that uh, wanted wanted to honor their family members service and ultimate sacrifice. Um, and so obviously we've been able to do that and amplify that and grow that in a number of different ways. But, but ultimately that growth, you, you know, I never, we, we never could have imagined that it would have taken the scale that it has here in the last 10 years. Um, in the, the, the stories that are really immeasurable um, that happen year after year after year on 
on ways that we've um, impacted those families. And, and, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about on the way over here that, you know, you this started from a place of, of you know, some pain, losing personal friends and uh, wanting to honor and remember them. But you also got to, you know, there's there was a, there was a point a few years ago that um, kind of took me off guard, if you will, and that and that was, and it had to do with a, a family that's a that's a good friend of mine. But we were we were filming a segment, um, and in the post production portion of you know looking at a draft of of this video that we were going to put out. It, you know, it dawned on me, and and we talked to the family about it, obviously. But it dawned on me, how, how, how painful does this have to be for them to relive this story again? And so, and I and I called called them up and asked them about it, and and you know they were very gracious about it and very appreciative of the effort to, you know, kind of memorialize this story in a way that can, you know one of my good friend's kids who now I, I think they've shared with me it's an annual tradition as these kids are are fairly young right now but they're starting to understand <clears throat> the sacrifice that their uncle made it's a um it is a it, it's something they you know it's a it's something they look forward to every year to be able to sit down and watch this video as those kids get older but i, I also again phenomenal impact in telling these stories but I, I, don't, I don't know why I brought that up, but it was just on my mind on the way over here. I, I, as we as we get further and further down the road, there's also an element to um, just being very considerate about how we go about it. Because, again, these families are living with, you know, um, um, just the worst situation you would ever want to, that you could ever imagine encountering um, and losing that loved one. So, yeah, but, but you, you talked about, you brought up the point, how difficult must it be for them to relive it? One of the things that, that I've found through doing this, this podcast is that very oftentimes it is more cathartic than anything else. Now, you know, under, under, understood. And that was always my assumption as, as, as we started and we got going in. But I also have had feedback over the years from families that have said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pass. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it. But there's, there's still a lot of pain there. And, and well, everybody uh, has to deal with their pain in their own way. Yeah. For some people, it's, uh, you know, like we just said, it's cathartic. For some people, it is painful. Um, and, you know, it, it's, I, I think the, the fact that we are continuing to hold their loved ones out front um, and really show them, not just say it, but prove to them through, through actions that, that their death mattered to all of us and their life, more important than their death, mattered to us more than just their death. Right. So what about on you personally? How, how has this, how has this journey, this 10 year journey, because that's really truly what it is. And when you and I, you know, first got to know one another, um, 
this organization looks very different from that point to now. So how has Stephen Holly changed? You know, I would, I would tell you that, um, you know, 2011 was, was within three or four years of getting out of the Navy and getting in the commercial real estate business, focusing on raising a family, uh, you know, back here in Dallas. That, and, and I think we've talked about this and I've talked about it, uh, but, but there was a transition there that it was, um, you know, personally with a family, five, you know, at that time it was a couple of kids into what is ultimately now five, but uh, being very happy at home, being very happy, um, you know, in my marriage and, and thinking professionally, I was very happy. I was at a phenomenal company, uh, learning a business that, that, um, well, you know, learning, learning a business that, that I'd always wanted to get into, but at the same time, there were some underlying issues that, um, there was something that wasn't quite fulfilling. Yeah, there wasn't, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, during that transition, I thought, you know what, if I can hit this number compensation wise professionally, then things will be, things will be all right. And then when that number came and there was still that, there was a hollow feeling there, I, I thought, okay, maybe it's this number and not that those numbers were, were any big deal, but it, it, I figured out that there was something else going on there. And um, it was through, you know, I really miss being in the Navy. There was something, there's a professional satisfaction that came from wearing your nation's uniform and um, the friendships that existed. Sure. And, and ultimately the, there was a, I always tell people there's a level of adrenaline there that you can't really match as a, a civilian unless you're doing something illegal. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I, well, I don't know what you do in your off time, but, but in, I, I don't know. The, 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 so there was a lot of different components to it, but um, I really missed it. And sure. I actually, at one point in time, I, this was probably 2010, maybe. Maybe eleven. I sat down with Molly, my wife, and said, "What What would you think about going back in the Navy?" And she, we talked through it. She was ultimately she was going to be supportive of of what we thought was in the best interest of our family. Mm-hmm. And I sat down with a good friend of mine who I was. He was the pastor at uh, the church we were at at the time, and he's still a great friend today, uh, Richard Ellis, and. I was talking to Richard about that decision and he said, well, let me ask you a question. What, what made you get out of the Navy? And I might've told you this story before, Mm -hmm. but he said, what made you get out of the Navy? And I said, I wanted to, I wanted to focus on being a dad, being being a good husband, raising a family. And he said, so has that priority changed in the last three or four years? And I said, no. And that ultimately kind of got me reset on, um, you know, that being the ultimate priority to, 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 uh, having some fulfillment in, in, that's a very, this is a very long answer to your question, but it was about that time that we started working on carry the load. We had this event, uh, we raised money for these other nonprofits, both <clears throat> military veteran first responders. 
And it was through that effort of raising that money and being able to uh, give that money away that, that scratched that itch of being able to continue to serve. Sure. And so it was, it was, a, you know, not that all those issues went away, but it was a big transition for me to being able to turn the corner and settle in for lack of a better term. Uh, so being able to scratch the itch of service to be above self kind of put it on hold. It didn't, it didn't, I mean, knowing you, it didn't completely eradicate that, that need. Um, you know, and I, I tell people all the time, you know, they, they ask me if I miss the Marine Corps and I say, you know, I miss it every day, but I don't miss one day of it, you know, because it's, <clears throat> there were some hard days. Um, but you know, for all the reasons you mentioned, you know, it's the camaraderie, it's the, uh, the adrenaline rush. I mean, you know, and, and, and I want to you know prepare you. I want to talk about your, your friend, you know, Brian Bourgeois here in a minute. Um, you know, fast roping out of a helicopter, you know, that, that's a rush that you can't get at the job now. No, but you know, <clears throat> making sure that at the center of everything we do, we went in, and while it may not have been our primary motivator, it ended up being service above self. It ended up being a greater cause than ourself. You, it sounds like you were still missing that. Yeah, I, I think a greater cause, yes. But just as important to that is the, the commitment and the loyalty you have to those guys you were serving with that, that for me made it really hard. The, the, um, the first seal that died in Iraq, I believe it was August of 06. And I'd gotten off active duty, um, just before that in 2006. And, and in my mind, there was some, um, there was some mental calculus of, of, you know, having done a few tours through Iraq and, you know, predominantly serving with, with guys on the West coast over there. Um, although we'd had guys that were, you know, blown up in IEDs. We had guys that were shot, but no one had died. And for whatever reason, that first, you know, um, Mark Lee's that finding out that he had died, um, uh, in Iraq, it just, the, the just something flipped in my head and there was a lot of there was a lot of um I wouldn't say it's guilt but there was a lot of desire to be back um with those guys that I've been serving with because they were continuing to operate over there and um so you're, you're hitting on something so, that, that but oh, hold on I had to but so it, it is service to something bigger than yourself but it was really a loyalty that I felt that I you know there was some betrayal there for having gotten out. And that's exactly where I want to go with this, because I, I think um, that is the, the great tug of war for each individual who is married with a family inside of the military, because you have this, this commitment to these guys to your left and right. But you got a commitment to the people at home. And that's a struggle, you know, and, you know, just like you went to, uh, you know, to your pastor and, and, you know, I think he asked a great question. Um, you know, is that still 
you know, what, what you are uh, trying to achieve, you know, being that great husband and father. And one thing I'll, I'll, I'll say there, I, the guys that a lot of the guys that I serve with were, you know, their third, fourth, fifth, sixth platoon, however, however long they'd been operational, a long time. And a lot of them were married with kids. And so I, what I'm, what I'm not saying right now is you, those guys didn't have their families as their top priority. That's they absolutely did. They were just able to, they were able to manage it in a way that I, Oh yeah. Couldn't see myself. Well, wh- whether it. you're, whether you're in day to day or you're missing it and you're out of the service. Now that tug of war is going to exist. It's yeah. going to exist for a while because you know, one of you know our motto in the Marine Corps, and I shouldn't say motto, but one of the things that people used to like to say was God country Corps. Those are your priorities. And I have thought about that many, many times. And I used to think, well, where does family fit into that? You know, because you can't, you can't exclude family from it because the family is, is really the backbone of the Marine Corps. Right. And I always struggled with God, country, core. Okay, where does family fit into that? I'm not really sure. Maybe it's part of God. Maybe it's part of core because, you know, it, it, that's the family. Um, but, I mean, what you're talking about, again, I, I, I see, in retrospect, I have seen so much of that personal tug of war. I have this responsibility to these guys, but I have this responsibility to these, you know, these people that uh, I'm either related to by by marriage or blood. And so, ultimately, you decided not to go back in. Um, and I'm just going to ask you point blank: Do you regret that decision? No, I, I, you know, hindsight being what it is, you know, at at that point in time, we had two kids, and again, it was only two of the now. Fire team reinforced Holly. Right. And and now, you know, we added three more there uh in pretty quick succession. Um, but I think that that was that was, you know, God's way of telling me that the decision you made was was for me the right decision. And we were blessed with five beautiful, healthy kids and um, you know, a phenomenal wife in so many ways that are Im- immeasurable, um, you know, in, in her support and, and the things she's done for me over the years. So it was absolutely the right decision. Okay. So fast forward, you know, you made the right decision by not going in, but yet you miss it every day. Um, how did that, how did that uh, uh, transfer itself into some of the personal challenges that, that you've had. I mean, you knew that, that not going back in was the right thing. Did any of that, the, the fact that you didn't go back in, though, did any of that contribute to some of the personal challenges you've faced? And a lot of those challenges are challenges that, that we help people with in Carry the Load. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I realize I'm not asking a pointed question, but... Yeah, it's it's a major topic. <clears throat> you bet. Um, before I go, before I go directly to your question, I'll also to put a bow around the previous question. As I'm sitting here thinking about it, you know, the, you, you like to think you had an impact. That time in the Navy, you can point to things you were involved in that had a 
larger impact. And, and that's a part of missing the opportunity to be in those types of situations. Hindsight, looking back over the last 10 years, I think through the impact uh, that Carrie the Lotus had, and again, I, me being a very small part of it, but being involved in this organization and looking at the impact across the country with these nonprofit partners and these families and in those that these nonprofit partners serve, you know, the thousands and thousands, however many people that that that, that impact uh, has had, that for me is God's way of telling me, yeah, you did some really great things and fun things uh, that were very in, in, impactful in, in you know your time in the SEAL teams, but but I think they're the breadth of the impact over the last ten years has really solidified that it was the right decision to get out. Uh, and I I can see that. So to answer your question, um, over you know over the last oh six seven years having. Um, having struggled with anxiety and depression. Um, and it's interesting, prior to dealing with it personally, and I think a lot of people feel this way, but I didn't have a category for it. Um, I, couldn't un, I couldn't wrap my head around specifically anxiety. Um, again, never, never had really dealt with it. And when I did... And then the subsequent depression, I thought, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy because you're, for me personally, was completely uh, unable to make decisions, uh, unable and completely scared to make decisions. Um, and so I was just frozen. For fear that they would be wrong, for fear they would, you know, they would be wrong, and, and a lot of this had to do with some um, professional decisions that I made to to some risks I took professionally starting a company, um, but all of a sudden seeing the gravity of what could be some implications from those decisions and how it would affect my family, right? And that's what really uh, that's what that's what really got me. But again having heard stories about people with depression, not wanting to get out of bed or, you know, being disconnected. I, th there were days that, again, my wife, Molly was so patient with me, but it was everything I could do to get out of bed and to the highlight of my day was once I finally did get out of my bed, I was like, get your ass out of bed so that you can drive your two kids, you know, your oldest two kids to school, at least be able to do that today. And I'll never forget, we live less than a two-minute drive from my house to my kids' elementary school at the time. And that two minutes was like, how can I slow this down and make this an hour? Obviously, I couldn't do that. But that two minutes was was phenomenal. I'd get there, I'd drop them off, and then it was like, okay, I got to go to work. And it was debilitating and I've, I've told a few people this story good good friends of mine but there was i had uh someone else working with me at the time and i would who was working his ass off and i would go into the office and in order to kind of save face with with him we, we sat in a room not much bigger than this and he sat facing that wall on his computer i sat facing this wall 
and in my inbox, there was emails that I had to respond to and decisions to make that had financial implications. And I remember I would just kind of dummy type on the keyboard for hours at a time, hours at a time. And then it was time to go to lunch. I'd get in my truck and go drive around for an hour just trying to escape and th there is no, uh, you know, there, there was no escape. The only escape I found during that period of time was when I went to sleep. Thankfully, I didn't have any issues sleeping, which I know a lot of people do. But that was where I could shut the brain off. So all that's to say is there, were, there was that, those periods of time for me kind of came and went over, um, really over about a five-year period. Eb, you know, it ebbed and flowed. Sometimes it would last three months. One time it lasted seven months. Um, but every year I thought, okay, I've, I've been through this. I could kind of feel it start to happen. But every time you, you get to a spot where it was just think, God, how do you, how do you, how do you claw back from this? And I had another good friend who um, has been involved with this organization that had been through, uh, had been through a, had lost his son and had been through a very traumatic experience and struggled, struggled, you know, for the first time in, in his life as an adult, um, anxiety and depression. And he told me one day, you know, this was after seeing a, a psychiatrist. He, he told me one day, he said, you know, don't, I know there's stigma around taking medication and, and getting help, but he said, and this is one of the strongest men, you'll ever meet. But he said, don't be afraid to go get that help. And don't be afraid to take that medication because it will help you once you find that right, you know, it may take a little bit of time. And he said, it's not like the magic pill where you take it and you're going to feel better the next day. He said, what I can tell you from my experience is you will, you will start in on that medication and in with counseling as well, seeing a seeing a psychologist weekly. But he said, you won't feel it day to day, but in 30, 45, 60 days, you're going to look back on where you were and you go, you know what? I don't feel quite as bad as I did. And then another 60, 90 days, you'll look back and go, I don't feel quite as bad as I did. And that was the experience that I had. It was just very incremental progress that I, I couldn't measure daily, but I could measure it over a three-month period. And slowly, 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 you, you know, able to climb out of it. Do you feel like you're still having to acknowledge that it's there and continue to confront it? Or do you feel like that's in my rearview mirror? I, uh, no, because the, after my, you know, the first real episode with it that lasted probably eight months coming out of it, I'm thinking, okay, I can, I know what that was all about, and that I, ignorantly, arrogantly, I thought, okay, that's in my rearview mirror, and then again and again and again, that that cycle. So I will. Uh, Is I will that because you came out of it and you hadn't really addressed it, though? You just kind of snapped out of it yourself. No, I, I mean, it, it, it. When you say address it, there's things that you can always incrementally work on, but you know, some of those issues are, are always going to be there. It's a, for me, it's a, it's a part of life. It's yeah. And, and I'm asking these questions because number one, 
um, I, I'm curious because I, I don't personally have that that issue to deal with. Um, I you know we've all got our own issues to deal with, but that's not one of mine. And over the years, I have you know anyone who, who knows me well, I have said that that um, I'm embarrassed how I used to view certain things as it relates to what you're talking about, as it relates to suicide. Um, I'm, I just, I'm not wired that way, but I've, I've come to understand it's real. I mean, oh, here I'm sitting yeah. in front of a guy that, um, that has achieved things that many people, I mean, let's be honest, you've achieved some really great things and I know you're going to shrug your shoulders. Oh, I'm just, no, you, you are, you've, you've played football at the Naval Academy. You've been in the, in the Navy SEALs and, and, you know, even though I'm, you know, Marine infantry, uh, and I didn't always care for you guys. I've come to really respect the things y'all have done. You took a step in trying to start your own business that a lot of people, they, they would have been too scared to take. So. Yeah. Now I understand why. <laughs> <laughs> fair, but, but, fair, but, but you're what, just to finish that thought. If, if this guy that's sitting in front of me has done all the things that you've done, you have faced down death on the battlefield you have faced your own demons personally. You can still have these challenges. I think what it does is it says to the common guy, the common gal, it's not abnormal. So don't think that you're abnormal. In fact, I may be more abnormal that I, that, that I don't even think along those lines, which scares me because that means I'm pretty numb to certain things. But You know, I, <clears throat> I'm as common as they get. I can be... You know, I always tell people get get through. If I was stubborn enough to get through buds, you just you just keep going. Stubborn, yeah. You just put your head down and keep going. Um, but it, you know, I don't know if this is part of your question, but it goes back to your question about is it in the rearview mirror? I don't think it'll ever be in the in the rearview mirror. Um, and I don't think it's healthy for me to think it'll ever be in the rearview mirror. It's always healthy for me to know that. Um, that it's there and, and if there's an awareness that it's there there's the ability to manage it uh, in a mm. in a healthy way because like there's a lot of ways to manage it and again I experienced some of those ways to manage it in very unhealthy ways um, but having the awareness of it, that it's there is, is is good for me and so um, was there a cause of it? Did you ever figure out? Was there, was there, a, you know, and, and I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I think it's fascinating to begin. I, I think mine was a lot of different. Again, I, I talked about, you know, turning that corner with carry the load and, and some of the issues of, of guilt, guilt, sadness. Um, and then you layer on some of the things that was going on professionally as an entrepreneur, when you start a business and, you know, you start swimming in deep water by yourself. Um, it, and again, for me, there's always an element of me that wants risk, um, mm -hmm. uh, and being able to manage it, obviously manage it appropriately with a family, but that, <clears throat> that was a big catalyst for me was being in a position and the ramifications that it was going to have on, on a wife and a five kids. And, and as shallow as it sounds, it was, all right, 
I just took a risk, and it looks like we're probably going to lose our house. Maybe my kids are going to have to go to different schools. The vehicles in the driveway, maybe we're going to have to sell those. Like it, it, at the end of the day, that's not something that's fun to go through. But, but those are all things you can't take with you. Exactly, and and you know a phenomenal woman standing by my side no matter what and five kids that didn't I don't care and you've said that three times now and and I and I want to reiterate I you know I'd like to think I'm a pretty good judge of character Molly is is just one of the quietest yet very strong very strong and when you're around her she doesn't say much but she doesn't have to and she's one of those people that, in my opinion, she speaks with her smile. And, and again, I've, I don't know that I would have noticed it had I not been around you as much as I have. Um, but I, I give you a lot of credit there, and, and you know, I think you're, you're wise no, to acknowledge her. Uh, well, she, she gets the credit there. Um, but, but at the end of the day... What, yeah, but you recognized it and asked her to marry. I mean, come <laughs> yeah. on, let's... Exactly. Um, well, it's, you know, what you learn when you're married every, every day that goes by every year that goes by, you know, you figure out more and more reasons how much you love your spouse. Yes. Um, you know, as, as life gets thrown at you and that's certainly true with my wife, it, the loyalty, the strength, everything that, that, that she, uh, she's done for me. So, um, it, it, at the end of the day, all these things that society tells us are important, especially living here in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, it's easy to get caught up in it. Yeah. And we're both native, native Dallas, but, uh, you know, and, and coming from, you know, a, a great, fa- a great family. Molly comes from a great family feeling like, all right, I, I'm going to disappoint everybody. But at the end of the day, what's really important is, is, um, you know, that relationship with, with Molly and the kids and, and ultimately a relationship with God. Yes. That's it. The rest is gravy. And that's easy to say. That's harder to live that out. It, it is. It is. There, there are a lot of things. I think you hit it on the head. There are a lot of things that are easy to say. Um, but, but, you know, living those out day to day, ensuring that you're doing right when nobody's looking, you know, the integrity that, that uh, we learned was so important in the military. Um, I think that in and of itself puts a lot of pressure because it's real easy to, uh, um, you know, to espouse those, those words oftentimes, but, but living it. And, and you know what, we're, we're fallible people. I mean, you know, we're human beings, therefore we're we're fallible in and of itself. But I, I want to, I want to kind of, go in a different direction here and before you go there i just want to say one more thing in in a a reference you know the relationship with god being um almost a couple years removed from having to wind down that business and and kind of transitioning back into the commercial real estate business um has it been two years already coming up wow yeah well it's we're coming up on two years of pandemic That, that was that was kind of the catalyst that but um, is God used that experience with me and 
you know, ultimately my family and, and looking through the rearview mirror, it was the best thing that I think could have ever happened. Um, based on, <laughs> based on where I am today. And that's not to say life is all roses, but there, there is a, it, it is, it's, it's pretty interesting to, to look back and to see how he used that experience. And, and I heard a quote, golly, last night I was watching the, Ken Burns documentary on baseball. Oh, I love that one. And I'm trying to think it was, uh, they were going from player. They were talking about Ichiro and his, they were talking about his dad. I'm going to get this quote wrong, but it was very impactful. His father had these four tenants that he lived by. And he, and he, he said, uh, in life, son, you're going to, adversity will, will lead you to, to persistence and persistence will ultimately lead you to success. But the key is that adversity. Yes. And man, I, that's, that smacked me in the face last night. Listen to that going, God, that, that, that is so true. Well, we, we learn way more through failure and adversity way more, yes. you know, and, and I think, you know, you're talking about that and that for some reason triggered a thought in my head about, uh, um, you know, you're a little younger than me, but I think when I was in high school or just starting out in high school, there was that guy, Todd Marinovich, or maybe I was in college at that point. Yeah. Um, and I remember the Sports Illustrated article where his dad's talking about, you know, he's never eaten a cheeseburger from McDonald's and, and you know, and all these things. And, and it was like, this kid has never failed and he will never fail. And I'm like, well, then that kid's very, very in a box and won't learn. You know, and, and I, I thought that at the time instinctively, but I didn't understand what I was thinking. Now I look back on it as a, you know, a wise old man. And it's, it's, I, I, what you said is absolutely on, on point. And that's one of the things that I always have tried to impart upon my kids, my, uh, you know, anybody that I work with failing is okay. It, It doesn't, it's not eternal. Failing is an episode. It's not a, it's, it's not an, a finite, um, threshold that you cross. And so I love what you said there. Adversity, you know, and whether it's a quote or a paraphrase, adversity leads to perseverance, which ultimately ultimately leads you where you want to go. Yeah, and and as I think about it in the context, and you hit it on as a father, it, there's a very, there's a very delicate line there that you know you want the best for your kids, but at the same time. Um, having them experience situations where there is adversity and so they can at a young age, learn how to appropriately persevere. I think that's very important. And again, that's a delicate line between when you, when you let, when you let your kids, you know, stump their toe and and when you step in to, to not let them stump their toe. So anyway, so I want to talk about 2021 and, and I mean, there's, there've been a lot of things that have happened. Um, you know, we, we cert and, and I think it all kind of, I'm going to tie this back to, to carry the load as well, but nationally, you know, we look at some of the things that have happened. I mean, obviously the COVID epidemic has, has continued to, to be a topic of conversation, regardless of, of where you stand on it. Um, you know, we, we've now seen people going into outer space, you know, not necessarily to the moon, but we've seen private organizations go into outer space and, you know, celebrities and William Shatner. I mean, you know, that's who would have thought we'd see that, that type of stuff. But then there's the other side of things. Um, 
back in January, we had a, a uh, and I don't want this to go in a political direction at all, but back in January, we saw um, ordinary citizens um, broach the Capitol, or breach the Capitol, I should say. We got out of Afghanistan. And where I'm going with this is, as a, as a guy who used to put the uniform on every day, especially Afghanistan, pulling out of Afghanistan, and I still have that <clears throat> picture of that young Marine pulling the baby up over the wall. What goes through your mind as someone who felt, okay, when I had the uniform on, I knew I was making a difference. I knew I was making an impact. You see things like that. Does that change that impact and that feeling of, of uh, doing some good? No, it doesn't. Um, you know, the, obviously this is an apolitical organization uh, here with Carry the Load, but, you know, personally, I would have liked to have seen, uh, when we're talking about Afghanistan, um, handled differently. Um, and, and I, I say that in the context of, I never set foot in Afghanistan, but again, a, a couple tours in Iraq and on my first deployment over there, this was a four, we just, we just, um, captured a guy at night and we brought him back to the detention center where we were kind of doing some in processing, uh, and I was standing outside waiting for, waiting for that to be done. And I was standing next to one of our interpreters. And he was a guy, based on my understanding, that had grown up in Iraq. And then at some point in the last 20 years, he had gotten into Syria and made his way into Europe. And then ultimately ended up in Chicago. And had been in our, it, it, I want to say in the mid-80s, he got to Chicago. And he said, you know, it took me four years living in your country in Chicago because I kind of asked him, what do you, what do you think about, what do you think about all this and us being over here? And he said, you know, he said, you got to understand that it took me four years living in an apartment in downtown Chicago to figure out that no one's going to kick in my door at night for something that I said or my family said and, and drag my family away. And he said, it took me four years living in your country to figure out really what a democracy and, and freedom and what those tenets are all about, those ideals are all about. So if it took me four years living in your country, then you can imagine what it's going to take for the folks over here mm. that, are, that are trying to establish some of those same ideals in the midst of a, what was a civil war. Um, he said, it is, it is not going to be easy and it's going to be take a long time. And so, um, all that to say, you know, I, I think there was, we obviously, uh, who knows again, I don't want to get political. I just would have liked to have seen it handled a little bit differently. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a long term view there that, um, I think a lot of people lose sight of, and you know, going back to World War II, you look at where our bases are today in Europe, 
in Japan and in other strategic parts of the world, there's a, there's a reason why we're still there. Sure. And, and again, I'm not advocating for sustained combat for the sake of having sustained combat, but being able to, to, to strategically look at some foundations that have been laid in that country and, and maybe again, how, how could we have handled that a little bit differently? Well, and, and really and truly, when I'm asking this question, I'm curious from the standpoint of this is, you know, and you pointed out we're an apolitical organization, and that's one of the things that I always tell guests on this show. This is not, you know, I don't want to be political, but there are things that happen that cross over into the political realm as well as uh, the military realm. And what I heard more than anything, the outrage that I heard from certain people, it was all military guys that, well, I shouldn't say that, vastly, it was military guys that were upset about us pulling out of Afghanistan. And the reason is because all of a sudden there becomes a question mark of why their friends died. Now, it's really easy to debate this and be right. And it's really easy to debate this and be wrong. So from your standpoint, did that ever cross your mind? Why did my friends have to die? Yeah, there's, yes, for sure. Um, uh, but, you know, that's a, and that's a very valid question and should be asked. Uh, for me personally, that's a that's a slippery slope to go down for me mentally. Um, but again, it's a it's a it's a very valid question and one that should be uh, should be debated and should be answered. Again, it all goes back to I wish it was handled differently. So and, and, and again, I think there's the, the obviously, you know, there's there's the question of what what was the meaning of those deaths, and I think there's an there's another question of um, all the people that that live in that country that put their lives on the line to 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 help in so many different ways over the last twenty years that had whose trust we had to gain and again the way it was handled I think it it sent a different message than the one that I would have wanted to send the way we handled that and and not only for for those people that continue to live there but if you look at you know other countries that um you know how they view us us being the United States right um in the long-term ramifications of that. Again, there's, that's, those are the things that I think about. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's a tough question to answer. And in some ways it's a tough question to ask because as, as two guys who swore to uphold the constitution of the United States, um, you know, our our job was not to question those um, those decisions. 
as civilians, we have not only every right, but every responsibility to question decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mentioned the Capitol because I think we have as civilians um, the same responsibility to ask of our fellow Americans. Um, that, you know, I, I look at what happened there. I look at what happened in Afghanistan. And it's real easy for everybody to focus on Afghanistan and Iraq are in the past. War's over. It's real easy to, for everybody to focus here internally. But then now we look at the military goes on. Brian Bourgeois, a friend of yours, recently perished in a, in a, a training accident. I, I would imagine, because if I'm not mistaken, y'all played football together? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yeah, he was, he was a year behind me at the academy. So, we, yeah, we played. We were on the team uh, three years together. Phenomenal guy, great ball player, phenomenal husband, father. Again, you can you can read a lot more about this than just what I'm saying, but phenomenal husband, phenomenal father, phenomenal football player, and um, phenomenal SEAL officer. So I, I, I preface all of that to, to really ask two questions. Number one, what do you say to – the American public who thinks that war is in the rearview mirror. And number two, how has carry the load? How has the things that we've done as an organization helped you to deal with the death of a close friend like commander bourgeois? Uh, I think it's short sighted to say war is in the rearview mirror. The nature of conflict is, uh, I think, has forever changed. You know, when you look at where we were in World War II and in Vietnam, and um, the the way that conflict has evolved, you know, over those decades, but specifically over the last twenty years, um, I don't think it'll ever be. It's never going to be in the rearview mirror. There's always going to be things that are going on. Uh, it's just imagine. It, it's a matter of the scale with which it's going on. Um, the other thing I thought that I'll, I don't know why it popped into my head, but I think it's very hard, if not impossible, for, for the average person living in this country um, to wrap their head around, and again, this is not a blanket statement, but, but we saw it more often than not, the, and again, speaking from a perspective in Iraq, but but knowing that that it was there in Afghanistan as well. But there's a there's a level of evil that exists. Mm-hmm. People is very hard as a and as an American who goes about their day to day life here and and to to wrap their head around what that looks like, what that feels like. Uh, just very very evil people in this world and. And I bring that up to say, we don't have to, very rarely do we see something that grotesque here. Maybe it's a serial killer, you know, I won't won't go down that road, but 
the frequency with which we're exposed to it is very, very little. Right. Whereas over there it was daily. Um, and so when people say, you know, we, we, if, if we get out of there and no one's ever going to bother us, let's just bring everybody home and go on about our way. It doesn't, it's a little naive from my perspective. It doesn't work like that there. And so I think it's very hard for, for us here as Americans to wrap our head around what, um, what that looks like in some of these other countries, if you haven't experienced it. And, and I'm, that's also to say, thank God we live in a country where we don't experience it. Um, Again, it all goes back to your question about is is war in the rearview mirror? No. Um, so, the second part of your question, you know, how does it? Obviously, his death is uh, tragic, um, sad. Um, again, <laughs> phenomenal guy. And, and I was reflecting back when I got when I got the initial email um, that that an accident occurred, and then subsequently about a day later, an email that he had passed. Um, I went back through my phone to to try to look up some text messages that we had exchanged here in the last few years. Um, you know, it's uh, again, there's there's. Just a, a, I don't feel bad for Brian per se. Obviously, he it's part of the risk of that job. Um, just heartbroken for his family and uh, his wife and his kids and and you know his friends. Uh, but obviously, first and foremost for for his family and obviously, you know for the for the men that that were a part of that unit there at, at SEAL Team Eight, um, feel for them as well. So. As it relates to carry the load, and uh, there, I, I take comfort in the fact that we raise money and give it to organizations that that are in a position to support um, families that have to go through a tragedy like that. Yeah, and I was thinking about uh, this not too long ago. It's going to be real easy for a lot of people who have been involved in carry the load to say, well, the wars are over because they're not being reported on every day or every night. But the effects of war, the wake of, of these wars will go on for quite some time. And, you know, as we have said many times, you know, for most of America, Memorial Day is one day a year. I think um, we're starting to make it, hopefully make it a little bit of a, a dent there on, on, again, obviously awareness about that day, but, but you know, as, as we continue to build out a, a calendar that's year long, hopefully, I, hopefully there's a level of awareness that's growing. No, there, there's, there's no question there is, but... You know, for, for someone who's never lost a, a loved one, you know, it, it's, it's, this is a, it's, it's like an event like the Super Bowl. It comes once a year. 
Whereas, you know, for the family of Commander Bourgeois and, and so many others, Memorial Day is not just a day on the calendar. It is it is every day you wake up. Yeah, sadly, it's their reality. It is. And Going so forward. I, I think as an organization, personally, I, I, I think that that is part of our our goal is to make people realize that it doesn't matter if there's a war being fought or not. He died in a training accident, but he died in anticipation of being available to protect us should we need it as a, as a country. Do you feel like carry the load is equipped to continue for another decade to make sure that people understand these deaths while they may be in, in training still have an impact to everyday Americans and everyday life. Absolutely. Um, whether it's in training or whether it's in, you know, the conflicts that will, you know, sadly continue because there will be, again, who knows what the scale will be, but there, war is certainly not over. Um, there will be con- conflict going forward because there's, there's folks out there that want to, they want to, Kill Americans. Um, I also think we're just now, again, I'm certainly not a doctor, but I think we're just now starting to see the the tip of the iceberg of, of what these long-term ramifications of, of, you know, 20 years of sustained conflict looks like. Um, and again, for every person that's gone through something like that, who's had that unique experience it's going to manifest itself in different ways. You know, we're all, we're all human. We're all different. So it's, again, that's, that's one of the, the things that I've loved about carry the load and how it, it happened organically was this broad continuum and, you know, these different organizations that serve in different ways, but they're all, uh, they're all compatible with one another, all answering needs that are, um, that are there. So, um, I, I think, I believe sincerely that Carrie Lowe will be as relevant 10 years from now as we are today. And, and that's, that's because we're always going to have men and women willing to, willing to serve in the military. And we're always going to have men and women that are serving here domestically. And uh, willing to step in harm's way for somebody they don't even know. Absolutely. So you, you talked about continuum, and I, I think that's a really um, you know, good segue into one of the things that. Can I say one more thing? And I want to give. It's uh, your show. You can say. Uh, this is certainly your show. But, <laughs> but again, going back to uh, a quote that, you know, coming off the heels of the Army-Navy game, whatever it was, about 10 days ago. Um, yeah, you haven't bragged about that once, by the way. I mean, when. <laughs> Try to be humble. <laughs> Try to be humble. What a great game, though. Um, but that was, you know, uh, obviously Brian was fresh in, in everybody's minds on that game, given the accident the previous week. Um, but a quote that Clint, I guess I'll attribute it to Clint, that I've heard him say before that is so um, – so true on so many levels, but uh, he was being interviewed at one point about, you know, the fact that he was a collegiate football player and 
then in the NFL and talking about different college football rivalry rivalries. Maybe you've heard him no. say this. Um, it was asked, you know, where does Army Navy rank in the context of college football rivalries and whether you're talking about Alabama Auburn or Texas OU or Texas Texas A and M. Hopefully that will be back at some point. Um, Clint said, you know, I'd put Army Navy, Army Navy in front of all those uh, for the reason of t- give me another give me another game where everyone playing the game is willing to die for everyone watching the game. Mm-hmm. And especially on the heels of 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 uh, what happened to Brian that that just came to you know my mind over the last two weeks and. As we're going into bowl season and college football playoffs, it just keeps that's always at the top of my mind. Oh, but it's 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 so true. It's such a true statement. And you know, it, you know, the Army Navy game may not have the flash of um, you know the spread offense and the West Coast offense and all that stuff, but <clears throat> but it doesn't matter. There's a the the, the pageantry around that game. If you've ever been to one. Um, and sadly, in the last 20 years, I have not prioritized going back to uh, watch one in person. The last one I was at was my senior year on the field. Um, but the pageantry around that game and the intensity on that field is is another level relative to the other, you know, nine games or whatever, nine or ten game schedule you have. It's just – Something very unique. And we can get off Army Navy, but I love what they've done here in the last, you know, however it's been the last 10 years when they've moved it to its own weekend. Um, it's brought visibility to to a very special, very special game. So. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that actually this year too. I was like, wow, there there's nothing else going. Yeah, and, and I, I, I want to say it's been happening for a few years. It's sometime in the last ten years. I can't remember when the decision was made, but certainly thinking back, you know, fall of '99 and, and all the, the you know the four previous years, thinking after the Army Navy game, going back to the hotel, changing clothes before you go out to eat. You're always watching the TV because it was the it was the uh, conference championship weekend, right? So it was. It was one game and a slate of games, and now that they've moved it forward one weekend, I think it it uh, has it, a different meaning. It has, a, you know, it certainly doesn't have a different meaning to those that participate in it. I think it brings a level of awareness and meaning to you know the rest of the country that wouldn't necessarily tune in uh, amidst the other slate of games. So yeah, I have to give uh, I have to give the uh, the networks and maybe college football credit on that one. Um, you know that was a uh, that was a good nod. I mean, assuming you know, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that it was uh, intentional. Uh, you got to give them credit there. Yeah. So the the other the other topic, uh, the the final topic that I want to kind of touch on is is a um, it can be a painful, morbid topic, and it kind of circles back to something we talked about at the very beginning, and that is those individuals who have difficulty dealing with the things that they they did, they saw, they experienced. Veteran suicide is at an all-time high. You brought up the continuum of care, and that's one of the things that, um, that we as an organization are really trying to 
support from the standpoint of um, mitigating. And, you know, I don't know if we can ever eradicate that, that aspect. Um, but the whole idea of veteran suicide continues to be a problem. What is, I'm sure you've known a couple people as well who have taken their own life. Mm-hmm. As somebody who has been in combat, how do you, how do you relate to the the challenges that they face? Well, I think it goes, I think it goes back to, um, you know, it goes back to the, our conversation about anxiety and depression. You get to a point where, again, never having a category for it, and then experience, experiencing it. You, for me personally, I wanted to do anything I could to, to make it go away, and you can't. Um, again, outside of sleep was the only time I could get relief, but it is just being – it's the worst feeling in the world. And I can see where – again, I didn't understand suicide prior to having that experience with anxiety and, and depression. Sadly, I can see where that becomes a feasible option. Um, you know, it's a temporary solution. Um, but I, I, in my own head, it, that for me was never, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by it's a temporary solution? It's temporary solution to a long-term problem, right? You're, you're, um, it, it provides some temporary relief to yourself, but the wake of but the effects are fatal. Yeah. Obviously the effects are fatal, but the wake of tragedy that it leaves around you with your family and your loved ones. And I've seen that uh, up close as well. Um, is, is tragic. I used to think it was a very selfish act for that, for that reason. Exactly. But I, again, until you were in the depths of, of that depression, you, Anything you can do, it's almost, I almost equate it to just having a, you know, just this immeasurable weight on your shoulders that you just think, how do I shake this thing off? And you can't. And so I understand that that that's a, there's relief there. Um, And that's going back to our conversation about, thankfully, you know, having, having some people that I, you know, love and respect that came alongside and said, Hey, I've been where you've been and here's, here's how I've dealt with it. And, um, here's how, here's how, you know, just being there, right. Being there and understanding that there's no, there's no quick fix. There's no easy magic pill, but it's just daily work. And, and, um, so, Again, for me, I think when people get to that place, it's it's. I can understand the decision. I don't condone the decision, but I certainly understand it. Um, I also think that it's very important to recognize. I think one of the one of the contributing factors there is when you get to that point. For me, it was I was completely embarrassed. I, I didn't answer my phone for uh, 
some point, two months straight. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> you know, someone leave voicemail. Very, very seldom did I call that person back. There was there was three or four people that I would pick up the phone for because I was embarrassed about where I was mentally and physically. Um, just in a bad spot. So luckily I had people come around me that, that had had similar experiences and that were, for lack of a better term, they were just present. Not necessarily there to tell me how to, how to climb out of it, but they were there knowing that as long as I was there, they're going to be sitting there with me and they were there no matter what, any time of the day. And so I, I, that leads me into, I think people get to that point and it is so hard to ask for help because your pride. Yes. Not necessarily the fact that you need help, but letting those close to you around you know that you're you know, you you've gotten to that point. Because when you're in that point, you you cannot see how there's any conceivable way you're gonna get out of that. And sadly I've 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 been on the other side of it here in the last year with another friend who I did not know was experiencing again, another a former seal um, who I did not know was experiencing some issues until someone keyed me into it. And he had no idea of my experience, but they were very similar because they were both brought on by risk taken professionally and things not going the way you thought and the ramifications for your family. And again, this guy is, you want to look up seal, you know, seal officer stud, that's him. And, um, he wouldn't call me back for a few days <laughs> and I stayed after him. I stayed after him. We finally texted and I didn't want to have to send a text that was that long, but he wouldn't answer the call. And so I finally sent a text that was, I just gave him my story as briefly as I could, but it was an extremely long text message. And he called me back and he said, I had no idea. And it is a very similar set of circumstances. But what he said to me was, I don't see how I can, I don't see how I can climb out of this. And I said, I've been right where you've been. I, I understand that feeling, but know that you will climb out of it. It will happen. And at the end of the day, again, going back to my experience, your wife and your kids, they could care less about the, the, the professional ego hit that, that you've taken. And the world's not going to come to an end. But just it, it reminded me in talking to him just how desperate that situation is. So long answer to a short question. I think, you know, anxiety, depression, I can understand it. People tend to isolate when they get there because they don't see how they can come out of it and they feel like they're a, an embarrassment and disappointment to family and friends. And um, Which couldn't be further from the couldn't, truth. Couldn't be further from the truth, but but extremely important for those who maybe are keying in on some of those uh, you know, signs of signs of that to just reiterate that and to be present. Um, and again, that's I was very careful about trying to tell him what to do. It was more, here's what happened to me. Here's what I did. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm no matter what, I'm just here. Right. If you want to talk, I'm here. And so be present, be present. 
it's easy to want to offer a solution, which I think is is very well intended, but it, your your mind's so out of whack at that point that you can't make sense of can't make sense of anything. Yeah, that's you're, you're not thinking logically. You're, you're thinking emotionally, or you're, or you're 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 thinking is just muddled. I would you, you I would know guess. I, I was trying to explain it at one at one point to a friend of mine who a very successful entrepreneur and I I think the way I said it was you you come into a room and there's there's a jigsaw puzzle on the floor and it's a million pieces all right it's gonna be tough to put together but you think all right put a put a plan in place put a team in place but the, the visual image was me personally, I'm staring at a million jigsaw pieces, but I'm I'm gonna be stubborn. I'm gonna put my head down and start putting them together day by day, day by day. Well, all of a sudden, someone comes along, and turns out the lights in the room, and you've got like two pieces together, and you've got you know nine hundred thousand more to go, and you can't see them. That's what it would. That's what it felt like to me to try to. There's no way I can put together this jigsaw puzzle with the lights out. That's what it was like to think, how am I going to get out of this place of depression? You just you just feel hopeless. And that was the visual I gave to someone at some point was, you're working on a jigsaw puzzle and you're this much into it, someone turns out the lights. You think, I'm screwed. And it ties directly into the veteran suicide problem that we face and that uh, a lot of those guys, that's where they feel like they are. And so, man, I appreciate that insight. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's a big contributing factor as you get out of the Navy and you don't necessarily have that folks around you, that accountability, that camaraderie every day. And it's slowly, you, you just slowly drift. And then you, you look up one day and you you've drifted, and you're isolated, and you're not in a good spot. So the final thing I want to I want to touch on is ten years for carry the load. You feel like we're well equipped to handle things over the next decade. If you were to succinctly talk about a lesson you've learned through these last ten years of carry the load. What would that lesson be that you learned? The lesson I have learned, and again, this being really my first nonprofit experience as a ultimately a volunteer CEO, um, I have been amazed at the folks that were involved very early on from a volunteer perspective that here we are 10 years later and there's a lot of the same faces that are very involved in differing capacities from, you know, leadership on the board like yourself um, or, or, you know, there's a laundry list of, of folks like that in, in different volunteer capacities and it. I'm amazed at it, but it goes back to something we said. I, I think, all of those people, there's, 
you want to serve, but you also, there's this, you know, it's, it's the feeling of gratification that you feel when you see the impact that, that these organizations and these families, uh, the impact that we are having um, through Carry the Load. I can understand why, you know, we're all still here 10 years later. Sure. Um, just as excited about the next 10 years as, as we were when we started this. Um, I think that that's the biggest lesson is, is um, not only the external impact, but the internal impact as well. So I, I think I would kind of summarize that in a, in a quote from a, another guy who became pretty adopted Dallasite, and that was Zig Ziglar. He used to say, if you help enough other people get what they want, you're going to get what you want. And that's, that's what you made me think of there when you said that. And, and I, I think, you know, the whole idea of self-gratification, it's not that I'm going to be selfish, you know, and, and, you know, Mother Teresa, all the wonderful things that she did for other people, she did it because there had to have been some gratification there for her personally. And so if I understood you correctly, the lesson you learned is that that's okay. It's okay to, to feel gratified by helping others. Yes, it's okay. Um, but the lesson I learned uh, also was I never would have imagined the loyalty of a group of volunteers that we have, a lot of which have been there since the very beginning that we still have today. I don't know if that's a lesson, but it's something that I've realized over the last Lesson, observation, either way, it's pretty special. Yeah, very special. So, Stephen Holly, thank you. Todd, Thank you for all your efforts, obviously, over the last 10 years, but but specifically here over the last two years with this podcast and the stories that you've been able to tell and the platform you've been able to build to give people um, not only an outlet to, to tell their story, but for all those that, that listen to be able to learn um, learn about what we're doing and, and just as importantly, you know, these individuals that, that you're putting spotlight on so well well done well thank you sir as we always sign off i have to ask you the question who are you carrying you know right now it's uh it's brian and his family you know obviously they're they're top of mind and i think there's a um obviously that family is um receiving a lot of support right now in a lot of different ways, I think is, you know, for me um, to be cognizant as we get further and further away from, from that tragic accident to make sure that there is uh, an ongoing effort. And I think through uh, some relationships that, that uh, exist specifically through some former Navy football players, I think that, um, the infrastructure is there to continue that support, but that's that's top of mind because obviously there's a spotlight on it right now in the media and within the community. But as we get further and further away, it's making sure that they understand that there's still emotional and financial support. So, one of these days we're gonna uh, maybe sometime this year we're gonna have you and Clint on again, and we're gonna go deep into the name of carry the load. And the phrase, who are you carrying? Because I think that uh, that's a very deep philosophical 
discussion, to be honest with you, because it means so much. But, Stephen, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. you Stephen Holly, United States Navy civilian, SEAL, Naval Academy graduate, Dallasite, husband and father. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. All right.